You are listening to Riverhouse Church's Sermon of the Week. We hope this talk equips and inspires you. All right, all right. You ready to get started? Everybody have notes? Does anybody not have notes? Raise your hand high. They'll get you notes maybe right now. It looks like we got this back row does not have notes. There we go. They're coming. Just keep your hands high. If you don't have them, they'll get them to you. Uh, I, yeah, just felt for the rest of the series, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you guys notes. It's, it's amazing to me how long it takes to print like 450 sheets of paper or whatever printing. So I was there for like 40 minutes just waiting for these things to come out. So I hope you like them, needless to say. Um, I'm going to have you stand. I'm just going to read uh, a scripture. And we're going to honor the, the reading of God's word. Just recognizing again that this, this is above anything that I'm going to say and that there's a purity to the scripture. And so we're just going to give honor where honor's due. And this is the same scripture we led, read last week, but just let it wash over you once again. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this time the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, know the Lord. For they all will know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. We're gonna, I'm just gonna, we're gonna get that eventually. You can say thanks be to God, praise be to God. So you have some, you know, variety, but you gotta say something. <laughs> All right, so we're going to continue in this, uh, this, this sermon uh, series, Questioning Authority, and uh, learning to come under the leadership of Jesus in our church. And just, uh, if, if you weren't here last week, I highly encourage you to listen to last week's message via podcast. It will very much lead into what we're doing. I'm contextualizing last week's message into this week's message at the next few weeks into Riverhouse Culture, uh, rather. So uh, this is just a quick recap um, but we talked last week about uh, the role of the church in, in, in bringing the kingdom of God. And I, I uh, outlined these different types of culture that we see, these three different religious cultures that we see in the world. One is a theonomous culture, which is what Jeremiah 31 is speaking of, which is a God-governed culture where people know within their hearts, the law of God is within their hearts, and God is actually directly governing his people. We see images of this all throughout the prophetic literature that this is what heaven's like. There's no temple, there's no sun. The light of God's presence actually governs the people. Does that make sense? Then we have a heteronymous culture, which is what we would think of like a dictatorship, where the few dictate for the masses how to think and how to do and how to live. And Marxism is a view of this. We see this in the Islamic state models, where the few dictate to the masses how they live their lives. And then we lastly have what is uh, the American culture, which is the autonomous culture, which is where uh, self-law. So we are governed by ourselves. We have our own autonomy and our own rights. Does that make sense? If it doesn't, listen to last week's message. <laughs> but uh, we talked about how Christian maturity in the 21st century Western culture is that God is actually discipling us out of our autonomy and into the theonomous culture of the kingdom of God where God is actually governing us and he is our leader. And for that reason, coming under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ is actually our door of entrance into the kingdom of God because the kingdom is the king's dominion where he is Lord, where he is leader, right? So we start deeply entrenched in an autonomous culture being a Western human being and that we're on a journey of maturation coming under the authority of his lordship so that we can actually uh, live as a theonomous people. Does that make sense? And the church plays this role, this paradoxical role, where though the church, the church is to inaugurate this theonomous kingdom of, of, of God, uh, it, it's actually still, there's God puts human beings in leadership positions. 
right? So it's this paradox and talked about how, how the church is actually to be this place where through anointed leadership that has to steward a lot of tension and paradox, we're learning to come under. It's, it's what tutors us into the leadership of Jesus, right? Just like our parents have to discipline us because it teaches us how authority functions and how boundaries work in our lives, right? And then we can mature and to begin to recognize them for ourselves. The church plays this tutoring role of actually teaching us to recognize the leadership of Jesus in our lives, Okay. So that's the recap last mes- last week's message, and if that's not comprehensive enough, please listen to the podcast, and it will go pretty in-depth into that. So I, I now want to contextualize, like we talk about the church and this tutorship role to teach us to come under the leadership of Jesus. I want to contextualize that into Riverhouse tonight, because that is where we are in a local church where we're trying to come under the leadership of Jesus uh, as a community. Amen. So we're going to have time uh, for question and answer at the end of this message, and uh, we'll answer questions pertaining to what's being taught tonight. And so there's going to be a, there we go, text Riverhouse to whatever that number is, and uh, they're going to be keeping track of the questions, and then Susan's going to come up. We're going to have about 10 to 15 minutes at the end of this teaching, and we're going to have a Q&A because we're a community that asks questions. Amen? Okay. Are you excited? Grill me good, okay? <laughs> no, don't really. Like, tee it up for me. That's what I want. Just 300-yard drives right down the middle. Okay, so let's just start, and we're just going to go line by line through this, but I want to talk about the significance of a local church first, is we have to understand that, yes, there's the big C church, but there's also the local church, and it's they, they work very much together um, as far as God's corporately leading the big C church, but he's also has us connected at the local church level, right? And so uh, I put this in here that where God has called you is where he will lead you. That's a general rule of thumb. Where God has called you is where he will lead you. So the local church he's called you to is where he's most expressly going to lead you in your life, Right, so a lot of times it's like when I'm not plugged into a local church, you're like, well, I'm listening to all these people and I have all my favorite preachers and stuff, but you're not going to get a real succinct clarity of God's leadership in your life unless you're plugged into the local church that he's going to most most significantly lead you in the midst of. Does this make sense? So in Revelation, John has this revelation. The angel starts speaking to him, and he gives these specific words of exhortation, correction, encouragement to the local churches across Asia. Are you familiar with this? And they're a different message to each one of those local churches, right, which is showing, and he says, this is what the Spirit of the Lord says to the church of Philadelphia, right? This is what the Spirit of the Lord says to the church of Ephesus, right? So if God had called someone to serve in the church of Ephesus, the grace of God in that season was to come under the word that was being delivered through the Apostle John. Does that make sense? If you were in the church of Philadelphia, but you were listening to what God was doing in Ephesus, you're going to get confused. Are you following me on that? Like, So where God calls you is where he's going to lead you. That's a rule of thumb. right? He will use other, he will, God's, God's have some ministers that are ministering like globally to the church. And so it's not like that's a bad thing. But for me, I have found that when I come most aware of God's leadership is when I'm plugged into the local context and the community that God, is, that is God has called me to serve. That's where I become most aware of his leadership in my life. Does that make sense? It's not like a religious thing. That's just a rule of thumb that, that sometimes I think is confused when we have access to so much stuff out there. Right? If we, we need to also recognize that God has called us to a local context, to a local family, and that's where he's going to lead us most specifically. Right? So you're here at Riverhouse tonight, right? Okay. And we have really three pr- pillars that are uh, foundational to understanding the culture of Riverhouse, and that's prayer, family, mission. All right, so prayer is speaking of intimate, direct connection with God, and vertical ministry is a term that I'll often use to describe prayer, right, which is it's to the Lord, unto the Lord. Right, family is intimate connection with one another, so it's about community and cultivation, right? So God, we often have amazing things that take place in our vertical relationship experiences with God. Family is then when we learn, it's also a tutor, we learn to express this love and community, and we get refined through that, and we cultivate what the Lord does in our lives, right? That's what community does. And, and so prayer, family, connection with God, connection with each other, and then mission, 
which is uh, marked by radical generosity to the world, and that's where we start speaking of horizontal ministry, right, and the kingdom expressing itself through us into culture, right? So prayer, family, mission, simple, right? I am going to do my best to, uh, I'm going to start with prayer tonight, and I'm going to try to give you the most insight I possibly can into how I see Jesus Christ right, exercising authority and creating these different pillars and how he's trying to lead and govern this church so that you can become as aware as possible of what he's doing in leading this environment. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to tell you my preferences. I'm trying to tell you what we have learned now through three years of watching Jesus shape this culture so that we can come under his leadership. All right, so I'm going to talk tonight, and when I talk about prayer, I'm going to specifically focus on these um, vertical ministry environments. So like right now, we are in a vertical ministry environment. And what I mean by that is that uh, Sunday's priority in Riverhouse is vertical ministry. Right? That's the foundation. Prayer, intimate connection with God himself is the priority of our Sunday worship gatherings and really any corporate worship gathering. Uh, is the, the priority is vertical ministry. It's not communal ministry, and it's not horizontal ministry, right? So what I mean by that is that those things will happen, right? We will connect with one another on Sunday. Um, oftentimes, people that aren't saved will come into our churches, and we've seen salvation take place. I praise God for all that, but that is not the priority of Sunday worship. The priority of Sunday worship is vertical ministry. We're coming to camp around the presence of God and to actually encounter God himself, okay? So that, that, that's, that is how we shape this space. So God's presence is the uncontested priority of every time we come in a corporate gathering. Right, we want to behold him, we want to see his glory, we want to behold his face, we want to be transformed into his image, as 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us. When we behold his glory, we get transformed into it, one degree of glory after another, after another, after another. That is the priority of our Sunday worship space. And um, this differs from many church paradigms. And I'm not here to say if this is right or wrong. I'm simply saying that this is the local church. That This is how Jesus is leading our local church. So sometimes we want to make judgments between churches, like who's right and who's wrong. Jesus is manifold in his leadership. So I'm not trying to cast shade on any other church model, any other church priority. I'm simply trying to reveal to you what we see Jesus doing here. Okay, so uh, some church paradigms, they have more of a communal priority on the Sunday gathering. It's more about connection and connecting with people, and they have a lot of theology around that, and, you know, it, but it's different. We place our emphasis, the communal priority of family, on our revival group gatherings. Right? The priority of revival group gatherings is to create intimate communal connection and to actually minister to the body of Christ ourselves and create family. That's where we choose to fulfill that emphasis. It's not on Sundays. It can happen on Sundays, but that's not the priority. Does that make sense? Right? And, and some churches, um, face, um, they put more emphasis on a horizontal priority, so a missional priority on their Sundays. And they've actually created Sundays to be evangelistic spaces where the lost are coming in and getting saved. Does that make sense? Right? We want that to happen. I believe that the, the early church, like you couldn't even get into their gatherings until you were a Christian a year and had been going to like these new beginner meetings. Right? So I believe that the presence of God is very missional. But again, the presence of God is the priority. It's not to create a, a space just for new believers to come and get saved. Right? It's not, it's, are you following me? Right? It's, not, it's not like I'm for that. It's just not the priority. Okay, And that is because... I believe there's incredible significance that the Bible places on spiritual encounter, right? This is not an ungrounded thing. Sometimes we fall into this trap of thinking that spiritual encounter is like this, it's for the mystics out there and it's this ungrounded kind of thing. No, the biblical principle is that encountering God, spiritual encounter is what resources kingdom activity, right? So it's, you look at Almost every single person in this Bible, it was a spiritual encounter that actually gave them what they needed to do the amazing thing that the scripture records they did with their life. It is, it is a time-tested panel or a pattern, Old Testament, New Testament, and into the modern-day church. Spiritual encounter resources dynamic kingdom activity. So we actually vitally need spiritual encounter. Right? And I put examples on here, and I'm not going to touch on all the verses 
just so that you know that are on this, so that you can do your own study on the verses that I put, but I just want to put references for your own um, study throughout the week on this. All right, and 2 Corinthians 3.18, as I mentioned, it says that as with, with, as we, with unveiled faces behold the glory of the Lord, we're transformed in his image from one degree of glory to another. And that whole chapter is Paul actually giving this exposition on how the Old Testament, like Moses, had a, even though it was so glorious with God, it was a visitational reality of what he was, it was these visits that he would have every once in a while. And Paul is actually saying, no, through Christ, the veil's been removed, and we have freedom to become a habitation of God, living temples where we are continually beholding him and being transformed into his image from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. So when I say spiritual encounter, resources, kingdom activity, it's not just one spiritual encounter. We see all through the books of Acts the same disciples having the same new encounters with the same God. So it's actually a lifestyle of spiritual encounter that actually equips us and resources us for a lifestyle of powerful kingdom expression, right? So when I say encounter, it doesn't mean that it's like, oh, this amazing, crazy thing that like is the moment of my life happening every single day, right? We can have simple encounters in the word. Encounters like what we had in worship with the peace of God tonight, right? Like encounters are as manifold as God is manifold, right? It's like, it's endless, right? So it's not to say it has to look like something, but it's saying a living connection with the living person, Jesus Christ, through the spirit of God who manifests his face continually to his people. He desires face to face with us. So does that make sense? So spiritual encounter is so significant. And the corporate gatherings help us cultivate this habitational type of relational paradigm with God. Right? They actually teach us and train us week after week. Right? We do this habitually. It's a pattern because God's trying to teach us, I am available and you can commune with me. And God loves the corporate space. Right? So why do we do corporate spaces and why does, he, why, why does God manifest in, certain, in powerful ways in corporate spaces? Because that's how he's told us he does it. That's what the scriptures simply show us. And you know, there, just a few aspects of the corporate gathering here is that, uh, you know, Matthew 18, 20, it tells us that where two or more are gathered, he's there in our midst, right? It says he's everywhere. It says in Colossians that all things he holds together, he's omnipresent, but he says, yeah, where two or more gathered, I'm even more there, right? That makes sense? Yeah. Hebrews 10, 25, don't, don't forsake the assembly of believers. Acts 2, 1, it was actually as they were gathered together in the open room, at the upper room, that the Spirit of God manifest upon them, right? So there's something that God actually manifests more distinctly in community, right? He manifests in a different way in the secret place, like we talk about that here, but he also manifests in corporate gatherings in a very distinct way, right? He manifests uh, more distinctly through sung worship and corporate prayer. He inhabits the praises of his people. Um, Acts, Acts 13, 2 is one of my favorite verses. It's the church in Antioch where it says the leaders were gathered. They were ministering unto the Lord with prayer and fasting, right? And then the Holy Spirit spoke and they sent out Paul, right? But it was in this ministry unto the Lord. God inhabits his praises. There's something about God manifest. The Holy Spirit manifest in environments where praise and adoration and prayer and intercession is offered corporately, right? He, he also manifests more distinctly through anointed teaching and preaching of the word of God. Isaiah 50, verse 4, it says that God's given me the ear of a disciple that I can sustain the weary with a word. I, I love that verse. I, was, I, I meditate on that verse often. God, I want to, to give anointed words that can sustain the weary with a word. Right? It says all throughout, in, in Acts 2, 42, it says that they would gather together around the teaching of the disciples. It was their spiritual bread. Right? So anointed preaching and teaching, God actually speaks through. Right? I love when I, people will tell me how God spoke through them because I, I, I don't know percentages, but I know a lot of the times people will come to me and they'll tell me what God spoke to them through the message. I'm like, I don't even think I spoke that through the message. You know, but it's like I think every good author, every good speaker, from a kingdom perspective at least, knows that it's the whisper between the lines that they write and between the words that they speak that brings the most power, right? So God speaks. I want him to be able to just thunder through me when in anyone that's on this pulpit, 
Amen? So, so God manifests in these corporate gatherings, right? And, and, and it teaches us. He's training us to come and make, make, make his presence very familiar in our lives. That encounter is not just for the special spiritual ones. It's for you and it's for me because he absolutely loves us. The spirit jealously desires the temple that he was created to dwell within. And you are that temple. Right? And, and the cloud followed Israel through the wilderness. Right? And they learned. They literally camped around the presence of God. And they followed the presence. That's the priority of the corporate gathering. Right? His presence brings life and vitality into every single area of, of our individual lives. His presence in every ministry. In every, it, it, camping around his presence is absolutely vital to everything that you and I try to do from a kingdom perspective. We are designed to live in his presence. Does that make sense? So that is why our priority, our, is, it's prayer, it's vertical. It's an intimate, direct connection with God. So whether that's a corporate prayer meeting, whether that's corporate worship on Sunday, that is the priority, that's what we're going for. We want to create a space to our utmost ability where you are encountering the purity of Jesus Christ and the power of Jesus Christ week after week after week, beholding his glory being transformed into his image. Does that make sense? If not, you can ask questions. So, uh, I, I, the messy of spiritual encounter. Can I get an amen? When God manifests himself, so do we. <laughs> and that's the mess. <laughs> All right? Just look at your neighbor and say, sometimes I'm a hot mess. Look at the other neighbor and say, sometimes you're a hot mess. <laughs> All right, people are messy. Amen? We are messy, my gosh. We are a beautiful mess. We are absolutely adored, but we're messy, right? This is the definition of manifest. It can be a verb. It's to display or show a quality or feeling by one's acts or appearance, to demonstrate, or it's an adjective, clear or obvious to the eye or mind, right? So the nature is of when God's spirit manifests in a spiritual encounter or in an atmosphere of spiritual encounter, we, what's inside of us, will also manifest, right? And we're a hot mess, right? So it's funny to me, sometimes we think that when God shows up, our natural paradigm, we think that when God shows up, it's gonna be like so peaceful and ordered and like beautiful and poetic. And God's like, oh, if you could see what I'm doing, you would see that. But you're also seeing all of y'all and you're a hot mess, Right, so to me, it's like, I don't actually think it's authentic if it's not messy because we're messy. Life is messy. We are all on a long journey of becoming like Jesus. And so when God manifests, so do we. And when that happens, there's a lot of opportunity for division to occur. And I just want to speak to a few that I see and then also just challenge you on how we're trying to mature as a community into actually being able to deal with the mess and recognize God in the midst of it. Does that sound good? So I'm just going to go through four, uh, four opportunities of division that I often see. All right, the first is I'm just going to call differences in human makeup. Um, and that is that we all behold God and manifest his presence differently and uniquely. And so I put here emotional, cerebral, physical. These are three easy ways to categorize. But some people just naturally in life are more emotionally oriented. Right? Like, can I get an amen from AJ? Right? <laughs> like, I, he, he's just more emotionally oriented. Some people are more cerebral in the way they live their lives. They process and think, and it's logic, and it goes through their brain first, not their emotions. Right? And then some people are more just in touch with their body. Physical touch, physical movement, they just, they're more, that is, that's where they experience life. They're very in tune with their body and the physical, you know, and their, the, the actual, uh, their, their flesh. So um, when, when people that are more emotionally oriented start, God starts encountering them, how are they going to manifest? Emotionally. Right? When people that are more cerebral start experiencing encountering God, how are they going to manifest? Right? And this is rule of thumbs, right? And the same with physical. People that are very in touch with their bodies, how are they going to manifest? Right? So we see a mixture of this every single Sunday at Riverhouse. This creates a lot of opportunity for judgment to take place because we often fear what we don't understand and so we judge it. 
So if I'm cerebral oriented and I'm sitting next to and worship someone that's having an emotional experience, I'm like, what's happening? You know, if I, if, and if I'm on the other side of me, someone's having a physical experience, and they're like, <laughs> you see the opportunity for division, right? And it's not that anything even is wrong happening. It, they actually might be as, as authentic and pure of a moment, but simply because we're wired differently, if we don't give space and honor for people to be them and me to be me, we'll start judging it. Because we're like afraid, we're intimidated, we don't know what's going on, right? Or, and it can go the other way, someone's having an emotional experience, they're just weeping, getting wrecked, and the person next to them is just sitting there stoic. And you go, oh man, that person must be religious. Well, no, maybe they're just cerebral, and they're having an encounter with God, and he's speaking scripture into their minds. You don't know what's going on inside of another person, right? So this is, this is, there's no picking on any. It's just there is a lot of opportunity for judgment to take place because God's designed us differently. Right? Then you start adding different graces and people with teaching gifts versus evangelistic. Like, and there's so much that takes place. Right? So that we have to recognize we gotta, our, 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 our orientation has to be honor first. I'm just going to honor them. I'm going to let you be you. And if I don't understand you and I want to, I'm going to ask you questions. Not gonna judge you and go talk about you to other people. Did you see how weird they were? Did you see how stiff they were? No, go ask questions. Can I ask what your experience was like? Can you teach me how you behold God? Because we wanna see him. Amen? All right, so differences in human makeup. The second is I'll just call the interpretive dilemma, and that is that we interpret things through our own experience, right? And so... Um, even, even scripture, we interpret through our own experience and our own religious background and our own, you know, whatever, history. And it's, there's that uh, kind of parabolic story of the element, elephant where there's like five blind men and they're all touching an elephant on different sides. And one's like, oh, it's so firm and massive, right? Because I got the leg and the other guy's on the snout like this thing is wobbly and, you know, and they're all describing very authentic experiences but through a very limited range of perception. And so they think that they're all seeing something different and they start judging one another. No, this thing is not flimsy and wobbly. This thing is the most massive solid piece of muscle I've ever felt in my life. Right? And, and we have to recognize that God is too big for any one of us to behold. Right? So he likes to come and he likes to manifest in community. Because he's like, hey, if you'll get on the same team and you have conversations and dialogues, you'll start to see the bigger picture of who I am and how I'm working. Don't go to judgment. Have conversations. Learn from one another's perspective. And also recognize that sometimes when you get really fired up because you don't understand and you're, this seems wrong, it may be because you're still viewing that through your limited range of perception. And because God will never violate his word, but he will often violate our understanding of his word. Right? And so you have to go on a journey that takes community to be honest on that journey of seeking understanding of what God's doing at any given time. All right? That's the interpretive dilemma. The third is the issue of the flesh. Right? And this, when I say the flesh, I don't mean the physical flesh. I mean the flesh like Paul describes it, like the carnal, egotistical self-nature. Right? So when God manifests, so do we. Right, And so if there is, and, and we are all in a process of ongoing sanctification, so there is, there's uh, ego and self-seeking, attention-seeking behavior that will often take place in manifest environments, right? And uh, this uh, can be emotional, this can be physical, this can be cerebral. It doesn't really matter what, how it is, but fleshly manifestations will take place, oftentimes right next to authentic manifestations, and they will often look the exact same, right? And uh, they, they can be uh, hard, to, uh, hard to recognize and hard to discern, but they, they often, people with discerning gifts, even if they're not aware of it, they'll start feeling like something's wrong, and it will, it kind of creates, like it's a, it's a, it's, I'm sure all of you have experienced this before. You're like, I'm not comfortable with what's happening next to me. And it's not just because you're judging it because you're cerebral and they're emotional. It's because there's actually something that I don't like the spirit behind this. This is, it's selfish. It's egotistical. Does that make sense? 
right? I'm going to talk about that a little more, but that, that's another issue that presents itself in an environment of spiritual encounter. And then lastly, uh, the demonic, uh, which is that deliverance often takes place while encountering the presence of God. Uh, you know, this takes place here often. We've seen that a lot here. Uh, we try to be pretty pastoral and discreet in how we deal with that. But, you know, in particular, when we go to like, you know, India or somewhere like that, this happens all the time, is people will start with peace and the presence of God coming over them, and then it will turn into a deliverance of a, a demonic spirit because when God starts moving, you know, you know the kingdom of God's come if uh, the finger of God's come upon you. If I cast out demons by the finger of God, you know the kingdom's come upon you. There it is, right? So uh, there's something about in the presence of God that takes place. Does that make sense? Okay, so two keys we must embody to navigate the mess. This is really important. Uh, and I'm, I'm just going to read a verse here. And the first, uh, it's, so it's discernment and patience. Those are the two keys. Uh, discernment is huge. And this is Hebrews uh, 5 verse 14. It says, but solid foods for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. All right, so discernment is a gift that I believe we, we, God wants to mature communities in where we are actually communally trained to discern what is of the spirit, what is of the flesh, and what is of the demonic realm. Does that make sense? So we have to learn, and, and this takes place, this is an ongoing journey, and uh, it's, it's just recognizing, oftentimes, you know how you've, you've had thoughts or you've discerned things before, and you're kind of like, I don't know why I'm thinking that. And then like you get like six months later, and something happens, you're like, I discerned that the whole time. I was aware, right? So we're, we're very intuitive beings, and some people have more of this gift than others, but I believe all of us have a measure of discernment from the Lord, and we need to mature as a community to begin to recognize, hey, like I, am, I do have a role as a community member in this church to, be, to discern what's taking place, right? So discernment's huge, and I could probably preach a whole message on discernment. You may have questions about that. But then the flip side is that we also need patience. Right? Because Matthew 13, 24 is through 30 is the parable of the tares and the wheat. You heard this? Right? So a guy plants his wheat. Wheat starts, uh, and then at night, an enemy comes, starts sowing tares, which is like weeds. And when it starts growing up, the servants come, and they're like, there's wheat and there's tares in the field. What do we do? And the master says, wait, don't go tear the tares out. Because if you do, you'll destroy the wheat as well. And I believe that in, in environments where God's manifesting, there's going to be tears. There's going to be fleshly stuff. There's going to be demonic stuff. There's going to be authentic stuff all at the same time. But in, in, it's not enough if we discern, okay, I discern a tear happening right now, but we don't wait. We will actually ruin what God is doing. Right? So it requires a lot of patience, and it requires that we, the, the process that the Lord takes me on is I discern and then he says, now you need to wait and intercede. And as you intercede, you'll actually get my heart for both the person, the individual. I'll give you peace and clarity and my perspective for the whole situation. And then I will orchestrate the moment where you then can act and have a conversation and, and separate the wheat from the tear and continue to disciple this you know, person or situation into a more mature place. Does that make sense? Right, so I guess what I'm saying is we have to learn to navigate the tension of, hey, God's okay in the mess. We want to like, me? This is me. Oh, I see a tear. I need to clean this up right now. And God's like, don't. I'm okay in the mess. Learn to love someone in the mess. Learn to sit and have the tension. Learn to rest and wait. Sometimes you need to act. Sometimes you need to wait. Sometimes it's, it's not mature enough. To, to have that correction, or to, does this make sense? Right, you have to you have to wait, and so it's it, it, you, we often will turn discernment into judgment if we don't spend enough time waiting and seeking the Lord. So God is if we're discerning things, and sometimes it's our own friends, sometimes it's people even close to us. Oh, God forbid, your own spouse, you might discern, but God says, not yet, not yet. I'm loving them. I'm the one that's discipling them into maturity. I will use you. I've let you discern it because I want you to pray. I want you to intercede. I heard a story one time of a guy, a pastor had to go give a word of correction to a guy that drove him crazy. And he said he was so excited because the Lord said, you need to correct him. They didn't even ask the Lord when. He said he was literally walking to the guy's house to knock on the door to just rebuke him 
because he needed to be rebuked. And it was some serious stuff. And he said, right as he went to knock on the door, God stopped him and said, do not ring that doorbell. He said, you don't have my heart. He said, go back and fast and pray until you get my love for him. Then you can go back and you can rebuke him. And he came back, he said, when I finally got the door, I was begging God, please don't make me do it. Please don't make me do it. I don't, I, I, please don't make me do it. And he said, I was weeping with tears and I had to give him the correction that he needed. He said, but my heart was ready to exemplify the gentleness of the authority of Jesus Christ. Right, so we, we jump, try to clean things up. God, we have to wait, get his heart and recognize that God is with us in the process of cleaning up the mess. All right, I'm going to try to be real quick. I'm going to finish up here, and then we're going to do about 10 minutes of Q&A. Uh, we've started developing, and me and Jordan, and, and we have a team each week that we debrief what happens on Sundays, and uh, started to develop the language of that, that even like myself, I have both a pastoral and a prophetic role as a minister in leading these spaces. And um, so the prophetic role would be acting or speaking on behalf of God, is what I mean by that word. So there's oftentimes that I'll get really emotional in my messages. You know what I'm talking about? I'm operating a prophetic role there. I'm actually manifesting the emotion that I'm experiencing from the Father in that, in that, minute, in that minute. Does that make sense? So it's, it's often uh, the prophetic brings this power, it's passion, it, it can be evoking, it can be disturbing. Sometimes it can be even a little like weird, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, and, or, or different or outside our paradigm of what we think normal church is. You know, and Jordan's really good at this. He will often do prophetic acts or lead us into prophetic acts. Or you'll see him, like, on his back, strumming. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, why is he on his back? Because he's just, he's actually playing this prophetic role where he's just, he's just offering himself to be this prophetic act to the Lord, to just manifest through him. Does that make sense? Right? But then there's also a pastoral role that, that we fulfill, and that is when we're not to actually be the embodiment through our words and actions, but we're actually to step back, and God's wanting to do something, and it's actually about shaping and helping you connect with what he's doing. And this is actually where I've had to, I've been growing the most, because the, the prophetic side of just, that was more natural for me, and the Lord's actually had to train me, no, no, there's times I actually want you to step back, maybe not physically, but I want you to tone down I want you to be relatable. I want you to contextualize what's happening in the room. And I want you to help them understand what I'm doing so that they can connect with me. Right? Because, yeah, it's, it's not about, I'm just, we're just trying to facilitate. Does that make sense? So that's kind of the tension that we're, and we're learning to navigate. And we have this language and say, okay, where do we need to be more pastoral? Where do we need to be more prophetic and step out, right? And the goal of these, if we can embody both of this, and this is where we have our own maturity and our own ministerial um, giftings, is that if we can embody both, we can be both a powerful and a safe culture at the same time, right? If it's, over, if it's out of balance, oh yeah, it's powerful and things are happening, but people don't feel safe. And I, don't, I want people to feel so safe. I want you all to feel so safe that your hearts are being nurtured and nourished and cared for in this place and, 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 and grounded in the word and recognize that there's a purity and nobody's trying to make anything happen or conjure, right? And, and so it's both and. And I find that when I'm in more of a pastoral, my voice will come down. I don't want to suggest anything. I don't want to manipulate in any way. I just want to offer what I'm discerning and allow space to connect with the Father. Does that make sense? And this is, again, I think we'll continue to grow on this. Um, but we want uh, to, to be a very powerful and a very safe culture. And right now, the emphasis that we feel from the Lord is, is more on the pastoral side. Even this sermon series, more on the pastoral side of the Lord saying, hey, Yes, you're experiencing power and encounter, but this is, this is how I'm leading you. This is how I'm trying to shape you. Does that make sense? All right, so I'm going to pray, and then we're going we're gonna to go. We could probably go. We can go till 540, but we're going to need you to leave quick. Deal? Deal. All right, so uh, I'm just going to pray, and then Sue's going to come up. She's got some questions. So, Lord, I thank you for how you're leading us as a church, and we desire, God, to encounter you with more power, 
God, we wanna come under your authority with greater clarity and purity so that you can do whatever you want. God, we want us to be a, a powerful, safe space where we can come week after week after week and encounter your glory and be transformed in the image of Jesus so that we can be resourced to cultivate family, God, and to express mission to the world. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, welcome, Suze. Thanks. Hi, everyone. I'm like kind of nervous. I've never done a Q&A <laughs> before in front of the church, so. Yeah, thank you're you. You're not laughing. He's nervous. He's been nervous all day. Thank you for um, sending in your questions. We have some really good ones, actually, so I'm excited for this. Going to put Jordan on the spot a little bit. Um, I want to start with the first one that came in because I, I actually think it's very important for us to talk about. So we talked about prayer, family, and mission being the pillars of River House. Mm -hmm. So one person inquired how specifically ministry and study of the word fit in among those pillars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I think right now that's one of the big frustrations that I think we have being in this space is that there is no uh, practical solution to creating um, like Christian education. And so we want uh, to encounter God through the word on Sundays. We want to be a two-space church, so revival groups and Sundays. So we don't want to create a bunch of midweek stuff because that creates like a bad habit where all of a sudden we're in church five days a week. So we've just felt the Lord said, not yet. It's not yet. It's coming. And uh, we want to equip you all in the word and we want people to encounter God through the word of God. We actually did a Electo Divina at our staff retreat this week and had one of the more profound meetings I've ever had in my life. And we encounter God through the scripture. And I think the scripture is powerful. It grounds us. So that's coming. And it's part of why we want a new building is because there will be um, space for Christian education on Sundays. So you can worship, go to, go to classes and incorporate a more holistic kind of um, equipping experience on Sunday. Okay. Good. Okay, so um, you spoke about the difference between the physical, the cerebral, and the emotional experiences with God. And so there were quite a few questions actually around the cerebral experience with God. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be that the charismatic church tends to cater to the cere or to the emotional and to the physical. So this is kind of a two-part question, but how do people who tend to be more cerebral engage, like if they feel like they're on the outside looking in? Mm -hmm. And then secondly, somebody asked... Do you believe God wants a more cerebral person to move to a more balanced place of operating in all of them, or is there permission just to operate in the cerebral? Man, Great that's, question. That's a really good question. Um, you know, the, to start with, I would say that uh, the way you can engage is, um, in I think, in your mind and allow the Lord to. Uh, we, we had a staff member this week that had one of the more profound encounters I've ever seen with the Lord. Um, honestly, it was it expanded over multiple days. And uh, it was out of the word. Uh, they literally, the word of God was like in their mind. And then it just began to just kind of take him into a, a whole new place and connect with his heart. And so it was really beautiful to witness. But so I would say just let God meet you where you're at. And I don't really think that we need to exalt one experience over the other. I don't know. I don't know about if you should move towards other ways. I think you should be open um, to emotion and open too physical, but I don't think that we need to make it like, this is how I, this, this, I don't think, we like love to make idols out of how God moves and stuff, and so I would just say, I just want Jesus to be really comfortable and to do anything he wants in me, so I think as long as your heart's there, I wouldn't really stress about what it looks like or how it looks like, I would just let Jesus meet you the way that he meets you and speak your love language, you know, everybody loves that, what's your love language, God knows your love language, so just let him love you, you know. And, and I would say that's probably a good question for the community around you. Sometimes those people will be like, yeah, you know what? I feel like you're kind of shut emotionally. And I think that that could be a benefit, you know, even in whatever. So I would just, I would process that question in community. Um, and, you know, and then I think just to contextualize, yes, in the charismatic church, it's been more of an emphasis on like the apostolic prophetic graces. And I've heard it this way where it's like there's this funnel and the apostolic prophetic graces are more like focused on what God's doing and spiritual reality and prophetic words and like what, what's happening in heaven. And it's powerful because it will take us into spiritual encounter. That's kind of what the spirit, charismatic church has camped on. But then where what actually grounds and brings and makes the connection between what's happening in heaven and then translates to people is the word of God. 
It's, it's the incarnation. It's the, it's the incarnational word of God. And so it, it, it can translate and actually make sense of what's happening. So I think a lot of times you may be provoked if you're more cerebral and have a teaching gift by, wow, there's things happening that I don't understand. You may even be disturbed. I would say that may be the Lord actually inviting you to engage and to say, start processing and searching what is taking place here? What is God doing? You know, and then and that's actually a gift that you have to offer, and I think a way of engagement. So that's just thoughts that come to me. That's good. And so, yeah, just to reiterate that, I think what you're saying is if somebody's feeling fear or they're experiencing like they're on the outside looking into one of those settings, then you would just encourage them to to yeah, seek like, it in I get in your Bible, get in wherever you go. Like I, you know, I do it sometimes. I'll actually get on my knees. In worship, and I just because I'm more of an introvert, and I'm actually more, probably I'm probably intellectually wired first, and emotion second, and so I'll often kind of go into more of a meditation place and just kind of clear myself and just try to focus on the Lord and and not put myself to try to need to be extroverted in those types of ways. So I'd say give yourself permission to say, Lord, how do you want me to engage in this? And you know, like it's, be creative in that space and let Him lead you. That's good. Okay, this one is um, taking a little bit of a different turn, but you talked about how the priority of a Sunday corporate gathering is ministering unto God. Mm -hmm. And so somebody asked how our space represents that, basically regarding the lobby and the um, space in here. There's a lot of like mingling in the lobby, a lot of mingling in here. So mm -hmm. basically, how do we set up Sundays to specifically minister under God? Or is there room for family connection as well in the way that we do things? It's the priority. So it's not... I love, I always tell people we have the spiritual gift of lingering because people don't leave. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's good. So, uh, yeah, I love it. We love connection. We're all about it. But we won't ever, we won't ever, we, we, won't, we won't sacrifice. This is, this is the priority. So that happens. We want that to happen. We love the lobby because that happens out here. I think I'm more talking about how we lead the two-hour service that we come into. The priority isn't so that you make really best friends with the person sitting next to you or have a connection with them, you may not really ever, and, and that's okay. We want that to take place in more of these, like, house church revival group environments. We want you to leave saying, I saw God and encountered him, and I'm not the same anymore. So if we would love if you're best friends and make, you know, like, do it. Go to coffee. Get married. But, uh... <laughs> oh that's, that's, not what we're, that's not what we're praying for all week, you know? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Okay. Um, you guys are asking really good questions. I just want to, good job. I just want to encourage you. You're asking good questions. She's okay. nervous now. I'm nervous. Um, okay. This is a, this is a good one. Um, we've been focusing on the importance of corporate gatherings and, and how that brings a significance, like the Lord works through corporate gatherings. And so what if somebody feels like they're being led into a season of journaling, of intimacy with the Lord? Basically, they feel like the Holy Spirit's actually pulling them away from community. How do they navigate that and respond when there is this importance that we place on community? I would make that decision in the presence of community, and, and that way they can bring accountability to that because it's very easy for that to sound really good, but it's actually like this independence thing that's bringing you into an isolated place that's actually really dangerous. Um, and I just say dangerous based on what I see from my pastoral vantage point is that often is a slippery slope. And then I talk to people six months later who are questioning their faith, questioning if God is real, questioning all these things. And so I would say that's probably a prompting um, and from the Lord to connect in a, in a way. And I think corporate is not to in any way, I think, remove yourself from the contemplative, like, secret place. And even, like, if you look at, like, monastic life, uh, they, they found that it didn't work to live by themselves hermits in the caves. So they actually came into community, and they do their monastic life actually in community. So I would say that uh, pure isolation, independence, that's not scriptural. Um, but you can, there are seasons where God wants more of like, yeah, one-on-one, -on -one, that's more of the focus, but you still need community within that. So I, th I would say process that with leaders in your life, um, pastors in your life, revival group leaders in your life. It's very important that you're plugged in as you're making that so that you can do that in a healthy way. And when you say corporate gatherings, do you mean Sunday spaces like this or like would a communal gathering with a few Christians work? Um, I, I mean, I, I think... 
if you were plugged into River, I can only ask for that answer that question as a pastor here. Um, and I would say if you are uh, if you were in a revival group, I would process that with a revival group leader. Um, and that so that's where I would push that question because that's kind of the structure of how we see Jesus pastoring this church. Those are the community points. So I would do that with the blessing of a revival group leader, or you know, you could come uh, to a, a pastor on staff and say, hey, could you help me process this? I would just invite people in that decision-making process um, and not make that independently. Okay, that's good. Okay, I think this might be the last question, um, but we'll see if we have another one that comes in. As we move into the new space, which I'm assuming is the new building space, what ways would you like the congregation and lay leaders to develop in helping to grow the congregation? So I think it means how can we participate in helping with this mission? Yeah, you know, John Maxwell says that everybody has a bucket of water and a bucket of gasoline. And when problems come to you, you can either pour gas on it and the fire will get bigger, or you can pour water on it and you can put it out. So I think part of why we feel like the Lord's even doing this is because we want to equip you to understand the culture of what God's doing here so that when, not if, when people come to you frustrated, disturbed, I don't know what the heck's going on, da, 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 you can actually pour water on that, give them language, give them questions, give them a, a safe place to express, like, I'm struggling, That's, tell me, that's okay. I'm angry, at, you know, like, in a safe place to process so that, we are pastoring even what, you know, we're allowing the Lord to use us in some way to shape one another and to help one another. Because we believe the day's coming where we're going to get people with no religious background out of all types of cults, new age spirituality, addictions, whatever it is. And we need to be equipped to help them with serious questions that they're going to have. Because when God manifests, so do we. We're like, oh! You know, you need to be like, oh, it's okay, it's okay. Like, you know, pour water on that and give a space and pastor them instead of make them feel like controlled or this or what, you know what I mean? Like we can, we can pour water together. I think that uh, that will help us steward what's coming. That's good. And thanks for your questions. I would just encourage you to continue to send them in if you get a chance. Even if you think of things throughout the week, yeah. we would love to be able to field those questions in different ways, probably email, things like that. Totally. You can email them to me personally, and we'll try to get an answer in some sort of a timeline. And also, uh, we've actually created, uh, if, if you have more questions that you specifically want to sit down with someone, uh, I think there's a slide up here, and you can email Kim Gillespie. And we've actually, there's a handful of um, seasoned Christians within our community that would love to sit down with you, go to coffee with you, and field any questions that you have. So if you have more, you can email Kim at this, and then she will follow up with you, and she'll get you connected um, with a, a member of our church family that would love to sit down and process with you. Does that sound good? All right, we'll get out of here, and we'll see you next week, okay? Thanks for listening to the River House Podcast. For more information, visit riverhouseministries.com.